welcome back everybody Lydia and Finn as usual and um, today we are joined by a very special guest Jacqueline Kelly hi Jacqueline hello <laughs> <laughs> Jacqueline has the best accent in the world and she is also a motherhood mindset coach and I have been following her on Instagram for a little while and popped into one of her lives recently where she was having a discussion around the saying of the word no and it was just a really profound conversation really made lots of impact on me and we thought it would be lovely to bring this conversation to our podcast mm. so welcome here to our podcast today thank you for coming thank you for um, having me I guess I'd like to start by just asking you first tell us your story like how did you get here how did I get here um okay so I am a mum of two I'm from Scotland and I've lived in Ireland now since 15 years almost. So a little backstory in order to fully understand the context in which I operate from now. I came here to study um, to do a master's that would get my foot in the door of the humanitarian world. So I wanted to work with NGOs in emergency context and I got my master's um, I had met a boy an Irish one um, when I had been living in Vietnam prior to coming to Ireland and he had also returned to Ireland so we had kept in contact and at the same time that I was studying for my master's we were kind of meeting up as friends got the master's got an internship my career in the humanitarian sector was taking off as was my relationship with this Irish man and in 2010, at the end of 2009, I got offered my dream position out in Sudan um, with a British um, emergency medical relief organization. And so at this point I had realized my relationship was probably, it felt like something special. And so we sat down and had the conversation around me going away. This was my dream job. It's what I had been studying and working towards. So I went away and realized a few months into my dream job that my priorities and my plans had changed. And in actual fact, he was that special and I wanted to come home and build, a, attempt to build a life. So I came home, got engaged and fell back on an old qualification where I teach English as a foreign language um, while I was figuring out what I wanted to do. Got a brilliant job in an amazing school and got married and then we decided to try for a family. That all went without hiccup and I had my first, I, I was pregnant in 2013, textbook pregnancy, absolutely wonderful. And then the birth that I had been hoping for and been planning for, I had built dreams with hindsight, fantasies around what this was going to be like. It did not go that way. And my son and I suffered birth trauma. And from that moment on, my entry into motherhood was not what I had imagined it would be. So then fast forward a couple of years later, I'm doing well, loving motherhood, but innately knew that there was something that I perceived was missing in my motherhood and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. At that time, I felt I wasn't encouraged to have these kind of conversations where I could talk openly about this almost numbness or emptiness because it was so closely correlated to what people would say is postnatal depression. And I knew I wasn't postnatally depressed, but I knew that I also wasn't happy. And so often what happens in motherhood, we have this, we polarize. You're either happy and loving motherhood or you're postnatally depressed. And I knew that that wasn't the case for me. And so I got pregnant on my second child. I couldn't see beyond the birth because of what happened 
in the birth process with Fionn. I went for counselling, I did some work around the birth and went on to have a very healing home birth um, with my daughter Molly. So I had Molly lying on the couch with a glass of Prosecco, Domino's pizza phoned, it was a dream. And <laughs> it, it really, everybody was like, are you sure? I was like, pass me the Prosecco, it's fine. Um, <laughs> And then after having Molly, that feeling continued. I looked around my life and I, I was in a very stable, healthy, loving relationship. I was very supported. I loved my children who were both thankfully healthy. I was physically healthy, but I also knew enough that there's just something that's not being addressed here. And so I started offering little kind of prompts and conversation with a lot of the groups that I was in. Thankfully, I had met some lovely, wonderful friends that I have this day from the local breastfeeding group. But I still felt that this connection, this honesty, there's a vulnerability. There has to be a certain level of vulnerability that I found to be the first person to speak up and say, this is not what I imagined. And that doesn't make me a bad mum. And I then was online and came across the most wonderful woman called Beth Berry who has a website called Revolution From Home, who changed the trajectory of my life. Because all of a sudden I started to read the words from a woman who had lived her own experience of motherhood, who spoke about that it's okay to acknowledge that it's not what we thought it would be. And that we are trying to mother in a paradigm that does not support the act of mothering because mothering has become so confused with all these other things. So from that moment on, I realized this is, this is my language, this, this is me. And I went on then to study coaching. I looked at different options as to how best I could support myself and women like me who were coming a few steps behind me on this track, this well-worn track, by the way, but it's not often talked about. It's like hidden. It's like one of those paths that are off the beaten track, but it's well-worn and yet nobody really talks about it. Um, so I went on to study coaching to become a qualified coach so that I could serve mothers who feel like they've lost themselves in motherhood. And that's now been a couple of years that I've been working in this arena. Um, I went on to add to my, I suppose, expertise with a, a different methodology called the Martini method. And he's a human behavior specialist that looks at challenging the fantasies that we have around certain aspects of life. And that has ultimately led me to where I am today, where I work with and support other mothers who feel and know that there's something missing. It's not necessarily what their family members think it is, but there's a, there has been a shift in their identity and that can be very confusing at times. So I, I guide other mothers through that process now. So many questions. Um, <laughs> so so that, that retrieval of your identity, um, I guess today what we really want to talk to you about was this idea of the archetype of women where there's no boundaries to what you can ask her, yeah. what you can ask her to do for you or what the world can ask her to do. Yeah. Was the retrieval of your identity inextricably linked to that or are they two separate things? It's a good question. Um, the more that I, the, the more I scratched the surface and I went beyond this idea of let's set goals and be held accountable, which, by the way, is exceptionally important and has its place. But motherhood is more than that. Like motherhood is literally a tearing apart of self in order to become this version of you that is required to mother and to be the mother in your children's life. 
So that then led me on to doing research about the archetypes, the mother archetype, and looking at the dark mother and all of these different elements and the parts of ourselves that we have disowned in order to be accepted by society. So the elements of the dark mother that we have disowned are these things like rage, disappointment, frustration, upset, resentment, and also all tied up with that to answer your question is the conditioning that we have from such a young age in terms of being a good girl you know being a nice girl and um, pleasing people and I think that that those two are so entwined like they are so entwined our conditioning and then also the disowning of the darker self um, and so in order to tackle one we have to slowly untangle all of these elements and mm. almost try and reintegrate the parts of ourselves that we have disowned in order to be fully whole because otherwise we're living this half-life and we be, the disowned parts that we have the rage the anger they 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 manifest in very exaggerated ways then because we've been repressing them and then so all of a sudden as what happens with mothers the women the women who contact me is that we have these outbursts these exaggerated forms of anger and then the shame and the guilt come quickly following so we repress it again and we continue on in this cycle we we please people we we don't want to say no and we do everything until this builds again we erupt and then it goes back and we're in this vicious circle cycle. I feel like there's a meme to that where like it's response to yours like no mothers anywhere going like I don't I've never heard of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. have this blank. What? Yeah, that's not me. That's definitely not me. Yeah. <laughs> I just love everything and I bake apple pies. Yeah, yes. yeah. 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 It's funny, isn't it? I mean, and I relate to so much of what you're saying. Um, there's so many responses that I have. But I guess when I was first asked to start talking at mothering events about my motherhood journey and um tips that I might be able to give from a yoga perspective or a meditation perspective. What I found was that yes, women really enjoyed getting the breathing techniques and the meditation techniques and the things that I had used when I was in periods of extreme challenge where my son was never sleeping. But what they really, really enjoyed was me just speaking really truthfully about my experience of the first few months of Ruben's life and how I found it. And, and my truth was that I had an easy pregnancy. I had a pretty great birth um, and I had a healthy baby and I didn't feel overwhelmed with love and joy and beauty when I saw my little son I loved him and I was going to do anything to protect him but he was a stranger and I needed to learn to get to know this stranger before I could form this deep deep bond and that came over time but I definitely wasn't loving the experience of the postpartum period and people kept sending me text messages endless text messages saying are you loving it are you loving it? And I would go, no, <laughs> no, I'm really not. Like it's shit. Yeah. And, and people would just not reply and they would stay away and they wouldn't want to talk to me because it was just so horrendous mm. to be faced and confronted with the reality of someone going, I'm not having fun. I don't enjoy this. I, this yeah. isn't the way I wanted it to be. It was just too real and too yeah. vulnerable to do that. And when I talked at events and said that, the amount of women that have come up to me afterwards and gone, oh my God, I'm so glad that you said that out loud because that's what I've been feeling, but I haven't been able to say it to anyone because it feels so shameful to say that. It sounds like you're saying, I didn't love my child, which is the exact opposite of what you're saying. You're just saying this experience that I'm in where I'm not sleeping and my body's sore and everything in my whole world has changed and I'm not getting any space to myself and I'm trying to learn who I am. This is challenging and I'm just calling it what it is. Mm -hmm. 
And that's so confronting because motherhood, I mean, you talk about archetypes, but like motherhood is, I mean, talk about being forced up to and caged onto a pedestal. Like, so not only is motherhood up there, but the woman or the person who chooses to become, and not, perhaps not even chooses, but does become a mother, then she also by default is forced up onto this pedestal. And so the minute that we start to challenge that by saying, hold on a minute, I, I didn't ask to be put up here. And in being up here, what is, it's not serving me because me being honest and telling you my truth confronts your fears and it challenges what you perceive about motherhood. And by me being on, and that's the most uncomfortable I think about other people's truth because you and I could hear the same truth from someone. And I might be like, oh, that's beautiful. And you might be like, that's the most horrific thing I've ever heard. And how dare they? So it says so much more about you and I than it does about them. And I think mm -hmm. the more that we are able to have that conversation, Lydia, like what that conversation that you, if, if I had been somewhere and heard someone say that in the first few months of my motherhood, I would have wept with relief to have someone say that publicly because it's not shameful and it's not dirty and it's not bad and it's not wrong. So I, I think that's wonderful that those conversations are being had. It speaks, it kind of, I feel like it speaks to the kind of the general superficiality of relationships that we've sort of come to expect, where our pals are the people we have pints with on the weekend. Everyone goes home, wakes up hungover, says, oh, what was that? Blah, 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 you know, and goes back yeah. to their work for the weekend, superficially hangs out at the water cooler and has general chit chat with their whatever, their colleagues and stuff, and then goes home and, and does the superficial things with their kids and try it. You know, I, I don't know. I just feel like particularly with Lydia from what I know of of her it's that she would have had really deep authentic relationships with people throughout her life so I guess what her expectation was when her son was born was that she would have that deep authentic relationship with him as well mm -hmm. kind of um, thinking that what the world was telling her was that that would happen mm -hmm. but actually was that, that the world when they're talking about the joy of motherhood they're talking about a kind of a superficial veneer joy as opposed to like a deep love for a thing a deep love for a thing is never like a you know it's never characterized by like a uh a, 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 a like unanimous happiness happiness you know it, it's not about that and, and that's that's the problematic part i think for me that we're, we're we characterize this idea of having like a joyful life as being somebody who's constantly got a smile on their face and that that's the two are really they're 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 almost opposites yeah i agree 100 percent. and just to touch on what you said there this version of motherhood that is sold to us is joyful and it is sold to us like, you know, online, uh, through conversations, even our mothers and grandmothers of women that were around us, they look back with rose tinted spectacles as we all do. I even look back now and I'm like, geez, if I, if I made this mountain out of a molehill, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like was, it, was I really that challenged? And then I dropped down into myself and I feel and I remember I was that challenged. But this, I think the thing about motherhood is that we are sold this like saccharine pin-up version of it and they sell it to us as joyful and beautiful and loving because otherwise, how, how do you talk about the intensity like on that superficial level, you can't. And so when we begin to explore that intensity, like that depth of love that literally like makes you, you could lift a car, you would bring a government to its knees if you had to because of your child and what they are entitled to. So how do you put, how do you put that in a postcard? Like how do we, mm -hmm. you know, and to do it without frightening people either that the, you know, with such great love comes such great fear. And we have these bubbles and pockets and moments of sheer perfection. And it could be when your child is asleep. And I think it's those moments, they are what fuel us for the rest of it. 
Like, I don't know, but you, Lydia, but it's, you know, that's not motherhood. It's not like that all the time. And in actual fact, I put something up this morning about do I always love my motherhood? And the reality is, no, I don't. That doesn't make me a bad mother. Like, I find it very challenging like to be so selfless because that's what's required to a certain extent. We have to be selfless in many ways. Again, to touch on the boundaries thing, that doesn't require sacrifice, self-sacrifice. I think often what happens in motherhood, the two of those get confused. That in order to be a good mother, uh, that requires us to be selfless, which therefore behind that, the hidden meaning of selfless is you must sacrifice yourself for your family. And that's not true. And so talk to us about how you distinguish those two in, uh, as a daily activity, you know, in terms of what people are in the doing of. Yeah. So I think that there are things within the family unit that we will do out of pure love, unconditional love. And that is not your look after. And also or, or make sure that our children's needs are being met. You know, they're warm, they're fed, they're, they feel loved and nourished. They're being um, looked after. That, that connection, those needs are being met, those human basic needs. But beyond that, where we feel like, you know, we are the only person that is capable of providing these needs, eventually that will become a very heavy burden and it's, it's unnecessary. And often what happens is in the, the immediate aftermath of having a baby, the mum goes into that mode of like, it's me and my baby, particularly if she's breastfeeding, the mother is the one um, that, you know, those needs are being met immediately by the mother. But that can somehow just creep into all the other areas of life. And then you start talking about things like postnatal anxiety, where the mother feels anxious to leave her baby. And that can become bigger and bigger and bigger again, where the baby could be a year, two years, and the mother's never left her child. And so all of a sudden, she's sacrificing because eventually, I suppose eventually what happens there is that resentment comes in towards the partner because mm. they or the, the mother might perceive they're not pulling their weight and also the resentment and the anger towards the child that this is expected of me and I've done this to myself and you know I, I don't want to do it but I can't get my way out of it so what often starts as a good intention ultimately can lead to our own demise in terms of how far we're prepared to go to sacrifice ourselves for the love of our children and, but there's a there's a there's a primal aspect as well as a conditioned aspect there right because like it, I mean from what I understand, I mean, like, listen, I'm not an evolutionary biologist, but my, my instinct is that there's like a really like that protective mechanism that it is just me and my baby is somewhat of a biological necessity or biological instinct that like it's I mean, I, and I know in terms of parenting roles, there's a lot of those archetypes that are served down to us, maybe in a, in a, in a much more like immediate, like just what our parents did sort of like, but it also like I is it is it possible for for women to step outside that I mean like how, how do you start to leave your baby on their own how do you start to trust the other partner to be there to fulfill the needs when realistically there's going to be a lot of mistakes at the first juncture because they haven't got that deep intuitive connection with them because they didn't birth the thing you know it's a bit they, they have to develop that in a way that's going to have to be supported by you and you're going to have to watch so much of the stuff not happen as you expect it or would hope it to happen yeah um, what I have found is that it, it's, it's a practice letting to step away from your child. And this is something that a lot of mothers may struggle with because it, not only do they want that time, but it's it, the nuances of wanting that time are that they feel guilty for wanting that time because that's not what a good mother should want. A good mother 
wants to be with her baby. A good mother is selfless and a good mother will devote herself entirely to her family. So once we can acknowledge that all that is running in the background, then we can have a conversation, then I would have a conversation with the mother in terms of, okay, so you don't want to leave your child because, and this is a real scenario, this is an example that came up one day when I was um, giving a talk and one of the mothers asked me questions about leaving her child and her struggles to do so. So we probed a little bit deeper into it and it was with other mothers there. And I said, so what exactly is it that you think is going to happen? And she started laughing. She says, well, my husband's going to feed her scrambled eggs for lunch. Like, and then she, we all laughed. You know, and I said, what exactly is the problem with her having scrambled egg for lunch? And she's like, well, she usually gets that for dinner. And she said, I, I, I know that as I speak this out loud, I, I sound ridiculous, but we all laugh. And we said, you don't, because we're all, we all have a version of that in our own minds. Because there's so much in motherhood that we can't control, that we cling on to what we can. And that's often the routine and the schedule and how things are done. And that it's my role and responsibility slash burden as the mother to make sure that the clothes are done properly, they look good, that you know they're having the nutritional needs met. But the flip side of that, and for anybody listening to this, um, is that one of the questions that I would ask you there is, well, what is the drawback to you of you doing all of that? And the drawbacks can often come up immediately. Well, the drawbacks are that I don't have time for myself, you know, that I I feel very frustrated or I'm always running late because I have all these other things to do. So those ones are the, the relatively easy ones, but then we go further and we say, well, what's the drawback to your partner of you doing it all? What's the drawback to dad? And they're like, well, yeah. there is no drawback. And I'm like, that's not true. What is the drawback to the dad? And then you start to realize that by me doing all of this and thinking that I have to, I am robbing them of the opportunity to create their own intimacy and to have those special moments of, you know, me and dad had scrambled eggs for lunch today instead of dinner, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, or like my Stuart one day, I met him in um, coffee shop. He had the kids and my daughter had a t-shirt and tights on and shoes. And I was like, <laughs> you know, where's her skit or shorts or whatever. But, and I laughed and he laughed because he's like, that's what she wanted to wear. And it's just not on his, he was like that, the tights weren't particularly see-through. <laughs> they, were, they were like thick, heavy tights, but it was something like that, that I knew in that moment that I could either choose to beat myself up with that as in, I knew I should have laid out, I should have spent 10 minutes extra laying out all her clothes, which would have robbed her of the chance and the pleasure of picking her own clothes. And it really would have robbed me of the thing that I was going to be doing that day as well, because I would have been frustrated I would have been running late and so the ripple effects when we actually open up our perception to what we imagine and what we perceive is a great thing to well what's the drawback to that and how is that impacting your family because often we're disempowering our partners by not allowing them to create their own routine mm. and I think I think what's interesting as well is and I wonder if you find this but I think you know, we all have our specific areas and things that we, we are challenges that we have to work on in life. But I think if you're someone who tends and has tended towards perfectionism in the rest of your life, if you're an A-type personality or did really well in school and wanted to get the best grades and all these kinds of things, you come into motherhood already being sold that as a thing, but also having that instinct within yourself to do the best version of motherhood that you possibly can, because that's the thing you're doing now. You're not doing work or any of those. You're not doing being a partner. You start suddenly myopically focusing on like, and now I am doing motherhood and I'm going to do it the best possible way that I can do it. And no one else around me can possibly do it the best possible way that I can possibly do it because then I'm not doing it. And that that is when you start getting lost into this thing that we were talking about of like, 
not being able to say no not being able to set those boundaries or carve that space without feeling like you have to somehow justify that to the nth degree to make it okay that you would possibly have the need to set that boundary. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that, Lydia, after we, that, that live that we had that day. I got so many DMs, which I love. I absolutely adore Instagram because of the opportunity that it affords you to connect. And actually, I feel people somehow, in comparison to other social media outlets, in my experience with mothers, there's a real willingness to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. On, like People share, really share um, on Instagram. And so after that conversation about this, why, like, I think, first of all, what happens is, when you ask a woman about why she feels the need to say yes to everything, often she doesn't even know. She'll be like, oh, well, and you know, it's that kind of, <laughs> I've never thought about that before. And then it starts to delve into, okay, so the surface level stuff is, well, you know, I feel like I have to. So then you're looking at all the different things, you know, your religion, how you were brought up, your culture, uh, the role of the females. So it's never a very easy answer um, to explore, but it's, it's, it's certainly worth exploring because when we start to see the beliefs that we have around what saying no means, then we can start to challenge them. Because often this idea, and it links back into that thing about the role of a mother in the family, this selfless woman, this, you know, the good mother. So in order to say no, you have to almost accept that by you saying no to other people, there, there may be discomfort. And that can be difficult, I think, for women to accept is that I may be the cause of your discomfort. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose your comfort over my own. And I'm going to burn myself into the ground until I'm so far down on my knees that people will be like, oh my God, she needs a break. And then things will change for a small amount of time. And then I'll feel better. So I'll start taking back on that burden again. Bit by bit, I'll start to creep it all on. But again, when we challenge that, like, and Finn, you were touching on that thing earlier about this people pleaser element uh, that we had spoke about before. Um, what do people, what do you get out of pleasing people? This would be a question that I would ask the mums I work with. Like, what are you getting out of saying yes to all of these things? And then usually it's nothing and I, I shouldn't have to do it. And I'm like, but we don't do anything unless there's a benefit. But what's the benefit? And sometimes it's so hidden that we don't even perhaps, we're not consciously aware of it, or we don't actually want to admit it because by me saying yes to them, that I get approved of, you know, they like me, they think I'm a nice person and that, that feeds something in me. And there's nothing wrong with that until it becomes destructive and toxic in your life where that need for approval and that need to be liked is ultimately robbing you of your health because there's no doubt about it. And Lydia, I think this is something that you and I had touched on in the messages when we were chatting is that ultimately, the ability or the inability to say no will eventually manifest in your body somewhere in terms of your health, how run down you become, um, chronic illness, all of these things. So that the long-term consequences of a woman, in particular a mother, not saying no are huge. Yeah, it's huge. And it's also, it's also that everything that we're doing, we're templating for our children. And if we are making conscious choices to try and break cycles that we've recognized in the parenting that we got or the parenting we've seen around us we've chosen to parent in a different way and to parent more consciously if we're unable to say no to other people we're showing our kids that that's 
the way that they should behave too and also inevitably we're not going to be able to say no to them in a way that's really comfortable and I know that that like it's 100% the truth that if I set a boundary with my son where he's asking for sweets or something and I'm if I set the boundary early on where I'm comfortable in my head like no you're not getting sweets today because it's midweek and like that's not the rule in our house or whatever and I just go no like calmly and happily confidently like no you're not getting sweets today he can push that button as many times as he wants but I'm just going to always calmly go no but he's sorry that really sucks but you're not getting it any today whereas if I'm uncomfortable with it inside myself I'm like oh no because actually you know maybe but actually maybe you can have it tomorrow but you're going to have a little bit and then he senses that tiny chink and then he goes at it until eventually I just go no (laughs) you know and then everyone's really uncomfortable because everyone's like what happened then and apologizing and, da, da, da. and that and that inability to say no you know I've modeled for him that I don't have that firm boundary I've modeled for him that I'm uncomfortable and I haven't taught him anything about like how there are some things that we can do and then there's some things that we can't do and that's the reality of it yeah um we I actually had this very conversation um with the I there's a group of women that I work with I run a group coaching program and we were talking about this and what you know rather than think about why can't I say no we were like well what are the consequences of you not saying no and so the the the, one of the mothers had said this she said you know when I've been reflecting back on where I comfortably say no it's in my role as a mother like right I am the boundary keeper it's so clear to me that that is my role and my responsibility that my children will always consistently know that they can throw themselves against me as many times as they want but I am their safe place and I maintain that boundary and it's interesting what you're saying as well because it's the same thing and yet she says I sign myself up and I find myself agreeing to do things like being part of school committees or doing this because I feel this awkwardness and this like oh I should be doing that because that's what a good mother would do like maybe I'm a stay-at-home mom and like what else am I doing other people might be thinking well she could do it because she's a stay-at-home mom so we create all these stories around why we have to say yes we say yes and then we the energy that's attached to the activity that we have said yes to is toxic then because we didn't want to do it in the first place but now we've committed to it and now we, we force ourselves to do it every week and we're angry about it which then in turn bleeds into our family dynamic and our children and I myself would have witnessed this as a child as well you know that toxicity of someone because it's clear when somebody doesn't want to do something but they're doing it because they feel they have to and our children learn that and they see that when we model that. And I, I think when you talked about there being that kind of that generation breaker, like that's me. Like I've I've taken on that responsibility because I don't I, I don't want that to continue on. I'm sure as a result of me doing this, my children will have their own issues, of course. <laughs> and trying to operate from a place of I don't want to do that, but I'll do this instead. My children will in turn um have issues with that. But I think the it's fascinating to look around your life and find evidence of where you where you do say no and Mm -hmm. what is it about those circumstances that have uh, encouraged you or allowed you to say no and it's about looking to transfer what you're doing there to the other areas in your Mm -hmm. life as well and one of the things that you were talking about and this is something like I've been really thinking about and really trying to work on is it's not just about the saying no, because like often we can say no, but we say no with a load of qualifications mm-hmm. or justifications or um, defensiveness afterwards. Um, and there's something different about the just 
being able to go, no, thanks, I don't want to. Yes. Yeah. Even just saying it out loud to you now, I'm like, it's really I'm dying. Very dying. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, that's horrendous. Yeah, like, who does she think she is? I know. Yeah. She, why? I'll give you the right. You don't yeah. want to. Yeah. You don't want yeah. to do that thing I just invited you to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that comes with the compliment thing that we were talking about earlier. You know, it's like when you see someone say no without quantification, qualification, or you see someone take a compliment without saying, Oh, it's really old. It's a discuss. It's just this thing that I've had that it's actually yeah. got holes in it, and in fact, moths are eating the back of it. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever the thing is, when you see someone just go, "Oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I feel really pretty today, actually." Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. yeah. So impressive. Yeah. But when you try to do it yourself, you're in your head thinking, "If I say that, they're going to think that I think that I'm really good looking, yeah. and then that's really bad because maybe they're actually saying that because they don't think that I look good looking, <laughs> and I say yeah. that I'm good looking, and then they're laughing at me because, yeah. and that's the, that's the that's thing that happens yeah. in mm -hmm. your head. Yeah. So how do we get to a place? Firstly, what's the power in the not qualifying? And secondly, how do we start to make that happen in our lives such that we're not dying up inside? Yeah. <laughs> Practice. Dying inside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but you don't go home and you're awake at 4 a.m. reliving. Like, and then I said, no. Yeah. And, yeah. and then, yeah, like you've, you've been lying awake all night, traumatized, thinking that what did that eyebrow shift mean and yeah i think it's the regular like what you need to have is one of those amazing smoke bombs that you can just throw down at the end of it and then just walk and disappear yeah. Yeah. that's it that's yeah. what needs to be every, every woman's no tool yeah exactly <laughs> and then go, like, change your phone number yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly that, yeah. doctor your passport all sorts of things <laughs> yeah leave the country so it'll be fine they'll never know they'll um, never know exactly <laughs> It's definitely a practice. I think like all of those things. And also I, one of the big things with establishing your own power and saying no is that it's the release of, you have to also include permission for the other people to respond as they will. Mm -hmm. Because when we say no, like for us then to be like on the back foot, depending on how the other person reacts, like, oh, good for you. And then that, that's a nice one. That's an easy one. That might not happen because so often um, when we have to establish a boundary and hold that boundary or just learn how to say no, it's often to people who have got used to the version of ourselves that they see, not who we are, but the version of who you are in their eyes. And so the minute you start to challenge that perception of who they think you are, that, and that impacts them. And most people will respond to that in a, almost like a, like we were joking about there that, well, you know, you've always done that. So I expect you to do that for me. Um, and that might sound extreme, but there will be more like diluted versions of that where it's just an assumption. Oh, Jacqueline will do that without me even being consulted. Um, and obviously where you are in your family. So often what I hear from women is, in particular mothers, it's the, the, the external roles like being part of school committees or um, caring for other family members or that they might have started calling into an elderly parent, but now all the, all the other siblings just assume that they're going to take that on yeah. without that being discussed. Mm -hmm. And so that no is then layered up with, by me saying no, does that mean I don't love my parents? Like, does that mean that, you know, I'm too good for this? And so once we can detach ourselves from what we, the story that we've created around what that no means, well, first of all, you have to identify the story that you've created. What do I think saying no actually means here? What do I imagine that me saying no means? Because then we can challenge those stories and see that, is this true? 
the majority of the time it's not true Mm -hmm. so and then you're like okay so I've created a story about why I can't say no we've now shattered that story so the story doesn't exist so what would make you say no what would hold you back from saying no now and then it becomes well uh, I just always say yes like I I don't want to run the risk so then we identify well what are the fears that you have around what do you think is going to happen when you say no and so often the fears that we have as you know they can just build up into these huge huge vague unhappy terrible things but when we can get clear on specifically is it that you fear that people won't like you or that they're going to judge you and that that's often the case that they might think I'm too good for myself etc when we can get clear on the fear then again we can start to say okay imagine if this absolute worst fear of yours comes true okay imagine yourself there and you're in that fear and now people are saying they don't like you now what like who are these people and often these people can be their their opinion doesn't actually matter in our lives mm. but we have just got so used to behaving in such a way that we please them or it could be that you're having to stand up to a sibling for once and that changes the family dynamic so there's a fear around what the consequences of your no will be in a family dynamic i feel like we're gonna like you or you you're gonna have to some stage rewrite eckhart tells the power of now and just cross out the w yeah that's gonna be great <laughs> yeah. bestseller um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you, you make it sound like, and, and not you make it sound simple in a pejorative way, you actually make it sound simple in a way now I can kind of understand a little bit of the work towards it, but it's much more about identifying who you are and what your values are yes. than caring about what the person is going to say at the other end, isn't it? Yeah. And also understanding, like, who do you mind about disappointing? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Inevitably, if you're choosing yourself, there are going to be people that you're going to disappoint and I guess it's about identifying who are you comfortable with when you break it down who are you comfortable with disappointing mm. like which members of that circle are you comfortable with disappointing and then once you're comfortable with that going okay so that's not going to be you know they might feel uncomfortable about that but that's in order for me to protect these people here mm. in this part of the circle that are yes. you know of utmost value to me then necessarily I'm not going to be able to people please all the people all the time and so then you just have to get used to that but I think we a lot of us are very conditioned to feeling like in order for us to find worth in ourselves to feel like we are valued good virtuous members of society mm. we have to feel like everyone has to like us yeah. and that's just I mean that work is so hard like I know it's like my core work it's it's the hardest thing for me is that thing of accepting like some people aren't gonna like me and that's okay and you know when you look at it the other way you're like and I also don't like lots of people so it's of course it's fine like it's ridiculous but at the same time you think like I should be good if I'm just good enough if I just do enough things if I just do the right things then everyone should like me and if they're not liking me it's because I'm not doing enough of those good things and then you fall back into that I'll just do all the things then. Yeah, I'll just try. And what you touched on there, actually, Lydia and Finn, in, in relation to the work of values, is that ultimately your opinion of me, again, like we spoke about earlier, your opinion of me is based on whether or not I support or challenge your values. So you, right. I might say something that immediately challenges what you hold very dear. So immediately you've judged me. You're like, mm, I, I actually don't even know why I don't like her or she's rude or she's arrogant. And then if I say something that is in support of your values, for example, why, oh, you know, I think um, there's a huge, we, we have to place a huge priority on our mental health, well-being and our body. Mm. I imagine mm. both of you would be like, oh. <laughs> 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 
yeah she is my new friend um yeah yeah and yet whereas if i'm like you know it's all about it, we have no control over our health and i I dissolve, I absolve myself of all responsibility of looking after my body because I can eat what I want and um, no exercise and then place the responsibility of my health onto a healthcare system. I feel that you would be like, delete. We'd be like, hey, how are Yeah. Where's the unrecord? There's an unrecord button. Change the phone number now. And so, and so, but either of those statements, they're not right or wrong. They're just different. So in me seeing one of those statements, I'm going to either support your values and in doing so, perhaps challenge their values. So if I have to try and then mold myself to suit both of you, this is where the struggle comes in because I, I cannot hold such two opposing views and yet be in integrity with myself. And so when we pull that back to my values and what's important to me and the, the liberation that comes from understanding that I am going to be judged based on someone's values, not on me. I'm going to be judged based on whether or not I support or challenge their opinions. It's not actually about me or what I say. It's about how I support them or challenge them and what they believe to be true. Yeah, and I think that this is like, it's absolutely crucial this conversation to be being had at this particular moment in time, whether you're a parent or not, because we're at this unusual point in time where people are going to be returning to the workplace, some people, and people are going to be offered the choice to either continue to work from home or to go into the office. People are suddenly going to start to have gatherings again. And we've been kind of actually absolved of the responsibility of having to say no in loads yes. of the typical situations mm. that we haven't been invited to parties or gatherings yeah. or any of these things. And suddenly all these opportunities are being presented to us again. And we've got this chance now to go, how do I want to do it differently going mm, forward? Mm. And how, how can I like be a more beautiful version of myself yes. and say, say, what do I actually want to do? Yeah. Mm, 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 yeah. And isn't that such a powerful question? Like, what do I actually want to do? Take away all sense of what I think I should do, but what do I want to do? And mm. be led by that and understand that either people will say good for you or they'll be like well you should be out there socializing now you have the opportunity make the most of it and so that again your decision is not right or wrong it's relevant for you it's mm -hmm. i think when we can really hone in and make that also almost like a mantra to ourselves like that mm -hmm. has been one of the biggest shifts in my in my relationship in my life these past couple of years is that that self-responsibility piece and like I fell in love with the work of a man called Nathaniel Brandon who talks about the six pillars of self-esteem he's a psychologist psychotherapist but I remember reading this expression this term self-responsibility a couple of years ago and it was like just if you can imagine a million pennies just dropping <laughs> and I was just like this, this is how you describe yeah we would take appropriate responsibility for ourselves our actions our words and our, how we choose to interact in relationships and i think knowing that and understanding that concept what that has brought to my life and in turn the women that i work with has been huge because it's freeing and it is liberating to know that when we can release release ourselves from the burden of expectation from other people then we get to live a more authentic life and the connections that we have are ones that we're choosing and in turn therefore are much more nourishing that we get what we want and we need from them because we're choosing them 
Beautiful. Thank nice. you so mm. much. This was brilliant. Oh, it was so yeah, me too. Definitely do mm. like a when we finish i'm just going to scribble in all the other questions i have <laughs> yeah. so many bits uh you're that. great Thanks, thank you guys. so much thank yeah. you both thank for you so having much. these conversations mm. yeah more of this please this feels like it's therapy it's like that right therapy like oh yeah please let's talk through that because <laughs> you feel like we can walk back out into the world with just a slightly different approach to it and a lighter approach to it as well because it feels like there's so much heaviness in yeah. saying there's so much heaviness in setting boundaries for yourself and if you can do that in a light way where you you don't have those micro expressions that people go oh, what's going on yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then yeah the world's just going to be a much better place isn't it in general for all of us yeah mm. absolutely okay so last thing just to say thank you to our sponsors um uh clear light saunas um i have a delicious infrared sauna down in the back garden that you guys can't see um and it is a big investment but something we really encourage it's a big thing for your health it's a big thing to take time for yourself in um, and, and it's a big commitment and it was one of my it was the biggest commitment I've made for my health I saved up for a few years and, and got myself a sauna which meant that you know I was embarrassed about it initially and then we tell people about you have a sauna that's indulgent and you know I'm like well yes but it's indulgent because it's time for me to look after my health and I'm putting my money where my mouth is because I'm committed to that and then also thank you to uh, Newsest our fantastic nutrition partner um, we've been doing lots of lovely work with lately developing uh, kids smoothies alongside your son and there's gonna be lots more content coming there so thank you both of those guys for our support and lastly uh, but not least thank you so much for you uh, that was just such a great conversation and um, thank you everyone for watching yeah. um, and we'll see you again next time okay. bye bye, bye. bye.